happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome in another edition of This Week in Hockey, and I'll say a special edition of This Week in Hockey as my co-host has returned, Joe Vitale, the former Blue, well, former Blue. I tried to give you a Blues label, but we'll say you were a Blues player because you're from St. Louis. Well, I'm technically employed. <laughs> Former Ish. Blues broadcaster, current Blues pro, however you want to go about it, the crazy world we live in. Regardless, I'm pumped that I got Joe back in studio with me. How are you, buddy? Alex, it's like old times. It's good to be back. It's good to be talking hockey. Now, I've been becoming a professional Amazon box returner oh. in my local UPS and USPS. So You're I'm, a pro, pro at that now. Yeah, I, a first name basis uh, at UPS in Kirkwood. I know Suzanne and uh, the Mormina boys. And I tell you what, I'm, I'm looking forward to changing it up a little now, bit. Now, is that your fault or your wife's fault? Is she purchasing them and you're uh, just there to get them or you're Alex, purchasing them? Alex, it's always my fault. That's true. It's always the I should have known that. I'm Come only four on. years in, though, Joe. She might be listening. So. Mine might be, too, actually. So, yes, it is always <laughs> our fault. I will admit to that, man. Well, but how's the family doing? How the hell have you been? And more importantly, have you survived the Vitali household right now in this pandemic? Things are good. Things are good. I was joking with the uh, the boys BK and ribs in there, and I came into the 101 building. It had a sign there. If you're feeling like you have diarrhea, or you're about to vomit, or you're nauseous, or you have a headache, I'm like, man, I've had all those for four straight months. <laughs> so maybe I shouldn't return to work. But I thought, oh, heck with it. It's probably just you know being a father and, and experiencing the world we're living in. But no, it's all good. I'm very blessed. We welcomed our little girl, you know, two days before all this mayhem yeah. hit on March 7th, and she's four months today. And you know, I tell you what, family's good, kids are healthy, and sports are kind of starting back for the youth. My son's got a baseball game tonight, actually, uh, for Kirkwood, and so we're going to go do that, be a part of it, all social distance, families are all spread out. I'll tell you another thing, I, I love the most of the families that my kids play with, but every now and then you run a couple people you don't really want to talk to. So this whole social distancing while watching your kids play has actually worked out pretty good. It looks like uh, somebody's hopping aboard the neighbor train, aren't we, Joe? There's just hey, some people you don't want to talk to. It's been a long four months. I'll just leave it at See, that. I kind of want some peace and quiet. Everyone just needs a pandemic to feel like they're on board with where Ferrario is at, so I don't look like the most worst person in the world these days. That's true. That's true. No, I'm, I'm slowly creeping up to your status. I like it. Well, it's great to have you back in studio, Joe. We got a lot to talk about tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, uh, I guess I'll, first things first, Doug Armstrong is going to be joining us in our next segment. Of course, the Blues president of Hockey Operations. Also, John Scott, former NHLer, former NHL enforcer, former All-Star MVP. John Scott is going to join us. And we're going to talk with Scott Burnside. But, Joe, let's start things off with, I guess, the big news of the week so far. And that's the CBA conversations that the NHL and the NHLPA, they've come to a tentative agreement for a return to play for Phase 3, for Phase 4. They've set some dates. July 13th would be training camp. August 1st would be the hub cities in Edmonton or in Toronto. And then on top of that, it looks like they're going to agree upon a six-year CBA extension, which is phenomenal news and really some positive news right now in a world of just negativity, it feels like. Yeah, I tell you what, the 4th of July treated the NHL very well over the weekend. And, you know, it's funny, Alex, three months ago, uh, I think I was on uh, doing our show, and I said, you know, NHL is a copycat league. You know, the, whatever the NBA does, whatever Major League Baseball does, they usually just follow suit. But how about this? I mean, to me, the NHL has literally grabbing the bull by the horns and is showing every other league around the world how it can be done and when you have good leadership on the league side and the player side what amazing things you can get accomplished i'm super impressed by what was done i mean listen the uncertainty of the world you put together a return to play plan uh to perfection i think all the t's were crossed and the lowercase j's were dotted (laughs) and um not only that 
but you also get a four-year extension to the already CBA that's going to take us two more years. So a six-year, yeah. uh, no-work stoppage uh, where the players in the league are just going to come together and just play hockey. I, I mean, kudos to the players, the Board of Governors, uh, but especially Gary Bettman. Yeah. I think that you know he has been just dogged over the years. I've, I've had nothing but positive experiences with Gary Bettman. He wrote me a letter on my first NHL game. One is hanging in my bar in my basement. Mm-hmm. But Gary Bettman, uh, tr- a true leader, I think that he has just redefined his legacy. If they can get this thing done, um, I'm going to call it right now, Alex. I'm going to say it. In October, when they raise this cup and he comes out, I bet people will cheer for you Gary so? Bettman. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why wouldn't they? If, if they do this in a cup is awarded in Edmonton, first week of October, I'm telling you right now, Gary Bettman will walk across that carpet and you will hear an uproar of cheers for that man for what he uh, his leadership and what he's done in my opinion well we hope so if uh, fans will be in the stands otherwise you'll be hearing the cheers and boos from front of their televisions you know what i'm saying i got you i got you no well look that's the part that's gotten me with this joe is when you look at the way that the nhl approached this whole scenario especially in light of what major league baseball was doing if everything was being leaked players were on their twitch accounts or instagram talking about how dumb the mlb is right now it caused an uproar. But when you think NHL, the only thing fans think of is, well, Gary Bettman has put us through how many lockouts? Three lockouts mm-hmm. or three mm-hmm. strikes. And you're thinking there's no way that they can do this. But the fact that major or the National Hockey League was able to do this behind closed doors, keep things under wraps, but create labor peace in terms of the players are happy with what's going on. There's, there's still some questions about the escrow and they want some more clarity. But overall, they're very happy with what they've been through. And you've gone through this. You've seen Mm -hmm. these lockouts and the negotiations that take place. The NHL should be applauded for what they're doing of showing other professional leagues this is how you create positive movement towards growth of the league with the NHL with the two expansions in the last three years. Well, yeah, that's exactly what's happening to the sport right now, the sport that we love, that we cover, Alex. it's To me, it's a fast and growing sport of all the major sports in this country for obvious reasons, and I think a big part of that is to your point about the culture of these players and the culture of the game. Uh, you, you mentioned some of the donkeys in Major League Baseball that came out <laughs> and spoke that, oh, we want our money, we want what's our... I mean, you don't hear about that, and that's no. just, again, that's hockey culture. That is a group of guys, that's a group of GMs and coaches that were just brought up in this sport where you just look after your team and you look after others above yourself, and all the players across this league did such a great job of keeping it quiet and keeping their mouth shut and just letting the leadership kind of speak and move forward. Uh, and, and then you got to give a lot of credit to the owners, too. I mean, you mentioned the CBA. There's a couple gray areas briefly as far as how that is developing. But at the same time, this is a very player-friendly new CBA. If I've kind of looked over briefly over some of the, the details of it, there's a lot of money that's more money, in my mind, that is going to the players here over the next six years. And I originally thought, I think, you know, 20% is going to be the escrow for next season. But then it drops yeah. every year after that. You know, you look at the, the cap staying the same, at least for the next couple of years, but then it should hopefully go up. It seems to me as if the owners are basically throwing a lot of money at these players and saying that we expect to be brought in a lot more money. Listen, they have a USA uh, TV deal here coming up pretty pretty soon. They're hoping a lot of money gets raked in from that. Seattle's joining the league. Yeah. Uh, I think every team gets like 20 mil at that 750 point. 750 mil they paid to come into the league. So. You know what I mean? So it's just like I think the owners looked at that from a big, broad picture, and they said that, 
we don't have a lot of money right now, but we're going to have a lot of money, and we want to get these players as best as we can, take take care of them, because essentially they're going to be taking care of us here over the next two months, uh, putting themselves and their families a bit of a you know uh, risk to come back and play this sport. I, I just think it was done with such profession, and I just think the relationship, uh, it just speaks volumes for uh, these players, and I think every league should look at this and think, geez, if the NHL can get this done, why can't we? A couple of key points I wanted to run through with you, Joe, before we take a break, and we'll get to Doug Armstrong to talk about this in a bit. So the salary cap, and this is just a, a, according to a report from Frank Saravelli of TSN, who's kind of putting it out there, and again, it's a tentative agreement both sides have to agree upon before we get the clear cut, but it looks like the salary cap's going to stay at about 81 point where it was last year or this past season for next season. Uh, the rookie pay is going to bump up a little bit to $850,000 a year. Um, in terms of the Olympic participation, and I want to get into this a little bit later with you, the NHL players will get to participate in the 2022 Olympics that will be played in Beijing. And then the one that really intrigued me, Joe, was what you talked about with the escrow cap. And this is something that I think really benefits the players of where it's 20% there is debt that's due players to the owners because of all of this, but the owners are taking a hit as well. Mm-hmm. This is a give and take business, and it's dropping to fourteen point eight percent to ten percent to six percent within the next three or four years. Yeah, I mean to me that's that's a huge number, and that's exactly why I think that in the previous you've seen where the owners and the players just cannot get along and cannot figure out what they need to figure out. But to me, the owners really stepped up here and said, you know, we're going to take care of these players. And, and you can't uh, help but wonder why all these players seem to be moving forward in a positive direction to play in August. I mean, you see Ovi, he's showing up. Sammy Blay, the blue, just got to town. Uh, talking to Joel Edmondson, he just showed up in Carolina. I mean, people literally have dropped their summer plans to get back to work. And the owners knew that. They knew that they were going to pull these guys from their lake homes and their mountain homes and from Europe and Sweden and wherever to get them back to play a sport during a pandemic. I mean, that that's risky. And that's risky for the players. They knew that. So what do you do? You throw some money out at them. And not only that, uh, speaking of money, what the players and what the owners have done, uh, bonuses stay the same. If yeah. you lose in the first round, uh, so, for example, if the Blues lose in the first round, uh, no, 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 excuse me, the, fir- the play-in the games. Play-in game. So, excuse me, so let's say the Pittsburgh Penguins lose to the Montreal yeah. Canadiens. Every team that loses in that play-in round, they still get 20000 bucks. Okay, that's their bonus. Okay, if you win the Stanley Cup, you're almost at a quarter of a million bucks, $240,000 yeah. for every player that wins the Stanley Cup. So the bonuses, the stuff, playoff bonuses have stayed the same, I yeah. believe. And so another incentive where the owners could have just said, you know what, we're not doing bonuses. But they knew that, hey, we got to get these guys back. And you get after their wallets a little bit, you entice them. So kudos again to the owners for what they did. And they still gave those players the signing bonuses as well, which was huge. Bingo. They yeah. didn't take Bingo. that away, which, again, it's it's about giving and taking in this business. And the Blues, the NHL, the NHLPA, they've all found a way to do that. That's Joe Vitale, who's back in studio with us. I'm Alex Ferraro. we got a fun show for you tonight until 8 o'clock. Up next, we're going to get into the CBA discussion and the situation that's been with the Blues and training camps. We'll talk about that with Doug Armstrong, president of hockey operations for the St. Louis Blues next. It's This Week in Hockey here on your home for the St. Louis Blues, 101 ESPN. Welcome back into This Week in Hockey here on a Tuesday night. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you this evening. And we are now welcomed by Doug Armstrong, Blues General Manager and President of Hockey Operations, graciously giving us some time this evening to uh, talk about some big news around the NHL. Doug, first things first, how are you? How are the family doing? Uh, Very good, thank you. Everyone's uh, healthy, happy, and uh, enjoying this heat wave that's going through Missouri. Yeah, well, welcome to the humidity, right? You're used to it by now, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I don't know if you ever get used to this, but uh, we're doing good. How about you guys? Is everybody good? Yeah, we're doing fantastic, Doug, and especially after this uh, this week so far with the positive news around the NHL. So as the general manager and president of hockey operations for the Blues, just uh, give us your thoughts on, on the news of the, the tentative agreement right now for Phase 3, Phase 4, and, and possibly the CBA extension in the NHL. Yeah, well, certainly all positive news on, on, on all fronts regarding uh, getting the players back in for organized practices to lead into a resume to play that uh, will culminate with the CBA. Hopefully, uh, I know they're in the, the process of uh, the players reviewing it and the owners reviewing it. And that's above my pay grade, but I'm hoping that it all works out for everybody and we have labor peace labor piece for a number of years and uh, we can get back on the ice in August. Doug, how impressed were you that the league and the players could come together and what they did with all this uncertainty, not only for a return to play, but also a possible four-year extension to make it a six-year, hopefully, um, new CBA. How impressed were you in general just with how both sides were coming together and to make this a very fluid process? Well, you know, I think a lot of credit goes to uh, to the players and, and, and obviously Mr. Bettman and uh, his staff. But, you know, everyone was able to park uh, – their personal feelings and, and did what they thought was best for the game and the fans in the game. And, and uh, with all the uncertainty going on right now, getting back on the ice and trying to bring some normalcy to people that, that love our sport and uh, love sport in general, I think is important. And knowing that we're going to be able to partner up with the players and the, and the owners, owners and players be able to partner up and keep that relationship going for a number of years. And then again, uh, we're, we're in such a positive spot, not only here in St. Louis, but around the league, the game that's uh, flourishing and getting better and better and great young players in our game. We have a couple like Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo coming here. And you look at all the great young players around the league, the, the future is so bright and it's been, hopefully we're, we're there where we'll have no interruptions for a number of years and we can build on what, uh, what we started over the last few years. Doug, you've been a part of these. Well, I guess uh, GMs are in a unique position because they're a part of it, but they're not really a part of it, but you've witnessed the labor negotiations in the NHL, but you also are in pro sports and you see kind of what has happened with major league baseball and the NBA. And of course the NFL, how impressed are you with just the, the way that the NHL and the NHLPA approached this and kind of kept things on, wrap but did so very peacefully well i think you know it, it's very important uh the the troubles that, that we're having in sport are so minor compared to the troubles people are having in their day-to-day lives not only with the virus but with employment and the economy so uh, i think it was imp- uh, paramount that our group just uh, did things behind closed doors and and worked and if they couldn't get an agreement, no one would be any the wiser. But hopefully they were able to get an agreement. We got labor peace. But just the way that they, they went about it, and Colton Pranko is our player rep I give a ton of credit for. He had to take that information from, from the PA, give it to his teammates, uh, make sure everybody was up to speed on what was going on. And uh, just a ton of credit goes to the players to, uh, for how smooth this went. Doug, it seems to me that getting to phase four and being within that bubble, I think that's where a lot of people feel like, okay, we're going to have a season or we're going to finish this thing off the right way. To me, and I don't know about you, but it's this phase three that becomes a little sticky about players testing positive in their, in their host cities or club cities. How do we get to phase four as, as, as close to a whole as we can? So what is your message as a general manager? What is Craig Brewery's message or team philosophy is going to be moving forward when phase three starts next Monday, as far as, I guess, the day-to-day regimen for these players to, to be as safe as possible? 
Well, I think, Joy, really what you want to do is, is knowing if we can get to phase four, we're going to be very secured that uh, uh, that'll be the safest that anyone in our group has been in months. Uh, it's just getting to that level. Uh, you know, you want to you want to have people enjoy the last uh, 10 days or two weeks with their family before we go away. But we have to do it smart. And we're hoping that guys can come in, go to work and then go home and spend time around their house or go for walks or go to the park. But stay at social distance and stay out of uh, busy environments. Uh, you, you'd hate to be to, to get that close and then, and then uh, you know, have an outbreak. But I think also there has to be some reality. There are going to be cases that pop up uh, just you know, we're no different than society. It's just how we how we deal with those, and and if we can minimize the the, uh, the spread if someone gets it, that's going to be the the task that, that that we have to accomplish. Again, we're talking with Doug Armstrong, Blues president of mm-hmm. hockey operations and general manager here on this week in hockey, along with Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Doug, you talked about some of the cases that popped up, and we did see that with the NHL kind of results in this phase two window that we're in right now. From a general manager's perspective, do you view that as a hiccup if we do? see some positive cases kind of like we saw with the st louis blues or do you just view that as circumstance that was expected in in the time that we're living in right now well i would say it's the latter i you know just because we work in professional sports doesn't mean we're immune to to the virus that that can be anywhere so uh, i wasn't surprised to, to see cases popping up uh you know my my i tip my hat to the coaches and the players and trainers that uh to have really so few cases pop up uh, as as the outbreaks seem to be gaining momentum around society around north around uh, the united states it it's been good i know our guys are, are when i see them at the rink everyone's wearing their mask <clears throat> they're wearing their mask in and out i know they're going directly home they're they're social distancing they're doing everything they can do to make sure that they're ready to play and uh it, it's not surprising that uh you know how you joey as you know you have to be committed to be a pro athlete you have to sort of live in your own world and this is just a uh probably that on steroids of just trying to to stay to yourself and 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 uh keep yourself and your family safe well, Doug, you brought up the players, and I actually saw a small group a couple weeks ago at Centene, and Sammy Blay recently just getting to town. Uh, in your mind, I know a lot you can say about Vladimir Tarasenko, who's going to benefit a lot from this rest period, obviously, but besides Vladdy, uh, in your mind, is there a player in particular that you think is really going to benefit from this long time off? Well, I, I think that your big minute guys, Petrangelo, O'Reilly, Shen, Schwartz guys, that you rely on uh, Parenko to, to carry heavy minutes on a nightly basis, I think are going to be rejuvenated and refreshed. Uh, but that's going to be around the league. So I don't think any any team is going to have an advantage. Obviously, we're having an advantage because we get Tarasenko back. But Colorado is getting players back. And I think you, you really – you know, my approach would be that, that, that it's almost a new season. You can park what happened up until March behind us. It, we're going to have different players, healthier players. As you know, we go to training camp, you have some notoriously quick starters and some notoriously slow starters. Well, the slow starters are going to have to get up uh, to speed very quickly. You can't just sort of wait in this, like you would in September, October, and hope to be good get you know, finding your groove by early November. If that's the case, you'll be uh, probably four or five games and done. So we're going to have to find a, a high gear very quickly. If the season were to have played out, Doug, before the pandemic and the postponement, a lot of people and a lot of hockey experts were viewing the Boston Bruins and the Blues as the favorites to be back in the Stanley Cup because they have just gone through that. Uh, do you view that still as kind of a, a advantage, I guess, for St. Louis and Boston because they've been there before? Or do you think this is a wide-open field for how even everybody truly is going to be? 
Well, I think it's going to be a wide-open field, uh, but I do think there's some advantage of, of being able to refer back to difficult situations, you know, playing uh, must-wins in game six and seven and, and coming out on top uh, against Dallas or, or different things that you, you've gone through. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't want to uh, speak out of both sides of my mouth. Last year when we were going to Boston, the question was, well, Boston's got all this experience and you've got none. I said, well, maybe a year from now we'll have all the experience and who we're playing has none. So uh, I, I think experience is important if you can take advantage of it. But ultimately, when the puck drops, it's going to just be competitive. Nature is going to rise to the top. And that's where I think I hope we have an advantage. I know we have extremely competitive people that can – you know, the the term that we like to use is white noise that can just eliminate the white noise and stay focused on the task at hand. Well, and the guy, to your point, Doug, right there, that kind of, I think, steers this engine as far as ignoring the noise is going to be your head coach and Craig Berube, you know, he, who is known to play a very hard brand of hockey, a physical, aggressive game. Put yourself in his shoes for the next couple months, uh, Doug. What is Craig Berube's biggest challenge going to be uh, for his group in front of him? Well, I think... You know, one of the things that Craig, or I think the main thing Craig has going for him is, is he's been to what, what the, where the players are, you know, playing over a thousand games at difficult times, playing in the finals, coaching in the finals. He knows what they're, they're going through on the ice, uh, but it's going to be making sure that the players know we care about them off the ice. Um, this is a brave new world for all of us. Uh, we're, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate my kids are older and uh, sort of self-sufficient, but when you're you're packing up and leaving your family for potentially five or six weeks there's a lot going on you want to make sure your family's safe so i think what craig's gonna be very good at doing is is making sure the players know that he and we care about them uh, more importantly than we care about the game itself and then when you when you can do that you allow them to to know that, that everyone around them has their best interest at heart and then we can build off trying to become a competitive team but i think first and foremost we want to let the players know that um you know, we, we we're obviously going to win. Our goal is to win the championship, but their health and their family's health is at the forefront of everything we're going to do. Final one for Doug Armstrong, who is gracious with his time this evening, hopping <clears throat> on with us here on This Week in Hockey. Doug, I'm just curious from a personal standpoint. Uh, last year at this time, you were celebrating a Stanley Cup championship. Uh, throughout your career, this is probably the busiest time as a general manager uh, with free agency opening and trying to restructure your team. How strange is this for you to being busy, but being busy in the sense of hopefully having a season to wrap up with a playoffs coming up? Yeah, it's, it's the, the feeling's the same. It's just sort of the months change. Uh, you know, it, we're excited. It's like we are almost when the pause ended. We had, we had uh, uh, Joey, what, we have about a month left. Now we have about a month before we get to the <laughs> yeah. playoffs. You know, you're, you're starting to, to get those juices flowing again, tr- trying to look at the games of we're going to have one exhibition games, three uh, round-robin games before, before we get it uh, up and running. We want to get as many players going. So you're, you're trying to, to get your mindset on well, what's going to make you best on August 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th when we play our first game. Uh, the difference is going to be if we have a long run, it's how quickly we're going to have to then switch gears, get into free agency, uh, look at our own free agents, restricted and unrestricted, get through the entry draft, get next year's team in place, get our American League co- contracts in place and up and running. And So a lot of things are going to happen quickly in October and November, but our focus right now is just being ready for uh, 
you know, August 1st or 2nd will be our first game. Uh, but I think, you know, we've circled August, uh, you know, 10th, 11th, when when we're down to 16 teams uh, is, is the date we want to be starting to click on all cylinders. Kind of follow up on this, Doug, before we wrap up. Do you feel like that's going to be difficult with that uh, short amount of time to try and get all of that done? Um, I, I, difficult or not, we got to get it done. Yeah. And then I, I just try not to worry about things you can't control. Uh, it's not like uh, it's not like Chicago and Boston and Detroit are going to have more time, and we're going to have less. So once once the season's over and we got to get rolling, we're going to be ready. I know our amateur staff has done a great job; they're prepared for the draft. We could do it tomorrow and be ready. Um, you know. Once we get the CB and understand the economics moving forward, uh, we, we've charted out some ideas on how we can uh, uh, put our team on, on the ice uh, under under a couple of different cap scenarios, not only next year, but moving forward. It's just going to be implementing some of those plans I think we have in place. Well, we're looking forward to it. Doug Armstrong, President of Hockey Operations and Blues General Manager, thank you so much for taking some time out this evening to hop on with us. It's great to chat with you, and uh, hopefully we look forward to seeing you guys in action uh, once the playoff format opens up. Well, guys, it's great to be talking hockey again. It's a little bit crazy this July, but it's also great to be talking about it. You guys uh, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Doug. Once again, that's Blues President of Hockey Operations, Doug Armstrong, with us this evening. And when we come back, I want to get into the Hub Cities conversation that we talked about with Doug with Edmonton and Toronto. And the Olympics could be coming back in two years. We'll get into that next. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. And we're back with more after this on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Welcome back into This Week in Hockey here on a Tuesday night. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you this evening, and we are now welcomed by Doug Armstrong, Blues General Manager and President of Hockey Operations, graciously giving us some time this evening to uh, talk about some big news around the NHL. Doug, first things first, how are you? How are the family doing? Uh, Very good, thank you. Everyone's uh, healthy, happy, and uh, enjoying this heat wave that's going through Missouri. Yeah, well, welcome to the humidity, right? You're used to it by now, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if you ever get used to this, but uh, we're doing good. How about you guys? Is we're everybody do- good? Yeah, we're doing fantastic, Doug, and especially after this uh, this week so far with the positive news around the NHL. So as the general manager and president of hockey operations for the Blues, just uh, give us your thoughts on, on the news of the, the tentative agreement right now for Phase 3, Phase 4, and, and possibly the CBA extension in the NHL. Yeah, well, certainly all positive news on, on, on all fronts regarding uh, getting the players back in for organized practices to lead into a resume to play that uh, will culminate with the CBA. Hopefully, uh, I know they're in the, the process of uh, the players reviewing it and the owners reviewing it. And that's above my pay grade, but I'm hoping that it all works out for everybody and we have labor peak labor peace for a number of years and uh, we can get back on the ice in August. Doug, how impressed were you that the league? and the players could come together and what they did with all this uncertainty, not only for a return to play, but also a possible four-year extension to make it a six-year, hopefully, um, new CBA. How impressed were you in general just with how both sides were coming together and to make this a very fluid process? Well, you know, I think a lot of credit goes to uh, to the players and, and, and obviously Mr. Bettman and uh, his staff. But, you know, everyone was able to park uh, – their personal feelings and, and did what they thought was best for the game and the fans in the game. And, and uh, with all the uncertainty going on right now, getting back on the ice and trying to bring some normalcy to people that, that love our sport and uh, love sport in general, I think is important. And knowing that we're going to be able to partner up with the players and the, and the owners, owners and players be able to partner up and, 
keep that relationship going for a number of years. And then again, uh, we're, we're in such a positive spot, not only here in St. Louis, but around the league, the game that's uh, flourishing and getting better and better and great young players in our game. We have a couple like Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo coming here. And you look at all the great young players around the league, the, the future is so bright and, it's, and hopefully we're, we're there where we'll have no interruptions for a number of years and we can build on what, uh, what we started over the last few years. Doug, you've been a part of these, well, I guess uh, GMs are in a unique position because they're a part of it, but they're not really a part of it. But you've witnessed the labor negotiations in the NHL, but you also are in pro sports and you see kind of what has happened with Major League Baseball and the NBA and, of course, the NFL. How impressed are you with just the, the way that the NHL and the NHLPA approached this and kind of kept things under wrap but did so very peacefully? Well, I think, you know, it, it's very important uh... The, the troubles that, that we're having in sport are so minor compared to the troubles people are having in their day-to-day lives, not only with the virus, but with employment and the economy. So uh, I think it was imper- uh, paramount that our group just uh, did things behind closed doors and, and worked. And if they couldn't get an agreement, no one would be any the wiser. But hopefully they were able to get an agreement. We got labor peace. But just the way that they, they went about it. And Colton Pranko is our player rep I give a ton of credit for. He had to take that information from from the PA, give it to his teammates, uh, make sure everybody was up to speed on what was going on. And uh, just a ton of credit goes to the players uh, for how smooth this went. Doug, it seems to me that getting to phase four and being within that bubble, I think that's where a lot of people feel like, okay, we're going to have a season or we're going to finish this thing off the right way. To me, I don't know about you, but it's this phase three that becomes a little sticky about players testing positive in their in their host cities or club cities how do we get to phase four as 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 close to a hole as we can so what is your message as a general manager what is craig brewery's message or team philosophy is going to be moving forward when phase three starts next monday as far as i guess the day-to-day regimen for these players to to be as safe as possible well, I think, Joy, really what you want to do is, is knowing if we can get to phase four, we're going to be very secured that uh, uh, that'll be the safest that anyone in our group has been in months. Uh, it's just getting to that level. Uh, you know, you want to you want to have people enjoy the last uh, 10 days or two weeks with their family before we go away. But we have to do it smart, and we're hoping that guys can come in, go to work, and then go home and spend time around their house or go for walks or go to the park, but stay at social distance and stay out of uh, busy environments. Uh, you, you'd hate to be to, to get that close and then, and then uh, you know, have an outbreak. But I think also there has to be some reality. There are going to be cases that pop up uh, just you know, we're no different than society. It's just how we how we deal with those, and and if we can minimize the uh, the spread if someone gets it, that's going to be the the task that 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 we have to accomplish. Again, we're talking with Doug Armstrong, Blues President of Hockey Operations and General Manager here on this week in hockey, along with Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Doug, you talked about some of the cases that popped up, and we did see that with the NHL kind of results in this phase two window that we're in right now. From a general manager's perspective, do you view that as a hiccup if we do? see some positive cases kind of like we saw with the st louis blues or do you just view that as circumstance that was expected in in the time that we're living in right now well i would say it's the latter i you know just because we work in professional sports doesn't mean we're immune to to the virus that that can be anywhere so uh, i wasn't surprised to, to see cases popping up uh you know my my i tip my hat to the coaches and the players and trainers that uh to have really so few cases pop up uh, as as the outbreaks seem to be 
gaining momentum around society, around North, around uh, the United States. It, it's been good. I know our guys are, are, when I see them at the rink, everyone's wearing their mask. <clears throat> they're wearing their mask in and out. I know they're going directly home. They're, they're social distancing. They're doing everything they can do to make sure that they're ready to play. And uh, it, it's not surprising that, uh, you know, how you, Joey, as you know, you have to be committed to be a pro athlete. You have to sort of live in your own world. And this is just a, uh, probably that on steroids of just trying to, to stay to yourself and, and, and uh, keep yourself and your family safe. Well, Doug, you brought up the players, and I actually saw a small group a couple weeks ago at Centene, and Sammy Blay recently just getting to town. Uh, in your mind, I know a lot you can say about Vladimir Tarasenko, who's going to benefit a lot from this rest period, obviously, but besides Vladdy, uh, in your mind, is there a player in particular that you think is really going to benefit from this long time off? Well, I, I think that your big minute guys, Petrangelo, O'Reilly, Shen, Schwartz guys, that you rely on uh, Pareko to, to carry heavy minutes on a nightly basis, I think are going to be rejuvenated and refreshed. Uh, but that's going to be around the league. So I don't think any any team is going to have an advantage. Obviously, we're having an advantage because we get Tarasenko back. But Colorado is getting players back. And I think you, you really – you know, my approach would be that, that, that it's almost a new season. You can park what happened up until March behind us. It, we're going to have different players, healthier players. As you know, we go to training camp, you have some notoriously quick starters and some notoriously slow starters. Well, the slow starters are going to have to get up uh, to speed very quickly. You can't just sort of wait in this like you would in September, October, and hope to be good get you know, finding your groove by early November. If that's the case, you'll be uh, probably four or five games and done. So we're going to have to find a, a high gear very quickly. If the season were to have played out, Doug, before the pandemic and the postponement, a lot of people and a lot of hockey experts were viewing the Boston Bruins and the Blues as the favorites to be back in the Stanley Cup because they have just gone through that. Uh, do you view that still as kind of a, a, a advantage, I guess, for St. Louis and Boston because they've been there before? Or do you think this is a wide open field for how even everybody truly is going to be? Well, I think it's going to be a wide open field, uh, but I do think there's some advantage of, of being able to refer back to difficult situations, you know, playing uh, must wins in game six and seven and, and coming out on top uh, against Dallas or, or different things that you, you've gone through. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't want to uh, speak out of both sides of my mouth. Last year when we were going to Boston, the question was, well, Boston's got all this experience and you've got none. I said, well, maybe a year from now we'll have all the experience and who we're playing has none. So uh, I, I think experience is important if you can take advantage of it. But ultimately, when the puck drops, it's going to just be competitive. Nature is going to rise to the top. And that's where I think I hope we have an advantage. I know we have extremely competitive people that can, you know, the, the term that we like to use is white noise, that can just eliminate the white noise and stay focused on the task at hand. Well, and the guy to your point Doug right there that kind of I think steers this engine as far as ignoring the noise is going to be your head coach and Craig Berube you know he who is known to play a very hard brand of hockey a physical aggressive game put yourself in his shoes for the next couple months uh, Doug what is Craig Berube's biggest challenge going to be uh, for his group in front of him well I think you know, one of the things that Craig, or the, I think the main thing Craig has going for him is, is the, he's been to what, what the, where the players are, you know, playing over a thousand games and difficult times, playing in the finals, coaching in the finals. He knows what they're, they're going through on the ice, uh, but it's going to be making sure that the players know we care about them off the ice. Um, this is a brave new world for all of us. Uh, we're, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate my kids are older and uh, sort of self-sufficient, but when you're you're packing up and leaving your family for 
potentially five or six weeks. There's a lot going on. You want to make sure your family's safe. So I think what Craig's going to be very good at doing is is making sure the players know that he and we care about them uh, more importantly than we care about the game itself. And then when you when you can do that, you allow them to to know that, that everyone around them has their best interest at heart, and then we can build off trying to become a competitive team. But I think first and foremost, we want to let the players know that um, you know we we we're obviously going to win. Our goal is to win the championship. But their health and their family's health is at the forefront of everything we're going to do. Final one for Doug Armstrong, who is gracious with his time this evening, hopping <clears> on with us here on This Week in Hockey. Doug, I'm just curious from a personal standpoint. Uh, last year at this time, you were celebrating a Stanley Cup championship. Uh, throughout your career, this is probably the busiest time as a general manager uh, with free agency opening and trying to restructure your team. How strange is this for you to being busy, but being busy in the sense of hopefully having a season to wrap up with it? playoffs coming up yeah it's it's the the feeling's the same it's just sort of the months change uh you know it, we're excited it's like we are almost when the pause ended we had we had uh, uh joy what we have about a month left now we have about a month before we get to the playoffs <laughs> yeah. you know you're you're starting to to get those juices flowing again tr- trying to look at the games of we're gonna have one exhibition games three uh round robin games before before we get it uh, up and running we want to get as many players going so you're you're trying to to get your mindset on well, what's going to make you best on august 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, when we play our first game. Uh, the difference is going to be, if we have a long run, it's how quickly we're going to have to then switch gears, get into free agency, uh, look at our own free agents, restricted and unrestricted, get through the entry draft, get next year's team in place, get our American League co- contracts in place and up and running. And So a lot of things are going to happen quickly in October and November, but our focus right now is just being ready for uh, – you know, August 1st or 2nd will be our first game. Uh, but I think, you know, we've circled August, uh, you know, 10th, 11th, when when we're down to 16 teams uh, is, is the date we want to be starting to click on all cylinders. Kind of follow up on this, Doug, before we wrap up. Do you feel like that's going to be difficult with that uh, short amount of time to try and get all of that done? Um, I Difficult or not, we got to get it done. So yeah. I, mean, I, I just try not to worry about things you can't control. Uh, it's not like uh, it's not like Chicago and Boston and Detroit are going to have more time, and we're going to have less. So once once the season's over and we got to get rolling, we're going to be ready. I know our amateur staff has done a great job; they're prepared for the draft. We could do it tomorrow and be ready. Um, you know. Once we get the CB and understand the economics moving forward, uh, we, we've charted out some ideas on how we can uh, uh, put our team on, on the ice uh, under under a couple of different cap scenarios, not only next year, but moving forward. It's just going to be implementing some of those plans I think we have in place. Well, we're looking forward to it. Doug Armstrong, President of Hockey Operations and Blues General Manager, thank you so much for taking some time out this evening to hop on with us. It's great to chat with you, and uh, hopefully we look forward to seeing you guys in action uh, once the playoff format opens up well guys it's great to be talking hockey again it's a little bit crazy this july but it's also great to be talking about you guys uh take care and stay safe thanks doug once again that's blues president of hockey operations doug armstrong with us this evening and when we come back i want to get into the hub cities conversation that we talked about with doug with edmonton and toronto and the olympics could be coming back in two years we'll get into that next he's joe vitale i'm alex ferrario and we're back with more after this on your home for the blues 101 espn
Final time here in our number one of this week in hockey. Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you. We got a lot more to get into next hour. John Scott is going to join us, the former enforcer, the former teammate of Joe Vitale, so you know we're going to get some good stories there. Scott Burnside of The Athletic is going to join us as well to talk a little bit more about the CBA extension, possibly for the NHL, and a lot more goodies along the way. But Joe, you mentioned Sidney Crosby last segment, and I tie that into the story right now, I guess, from the St. Louis angle of, you know, players that popped up. I believe it was four that 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 were tested positive for covid cases and they were caught, I guess, out and about in the city, which is why those cases popped up. Um, But the reason that I'm not so I guess panicky seems like too intense of a word, but it's the only word that I can think of right now. The, The reason I'm not so concerned about that is one you're still in phase two and this was kind of what was expected when you get everybody back you're going to have things popping up and yes they were out but it's going to happen there but the leadership in the nhl side is what gets me and Sidney crosby is a perfect example of that like you want to talk about a group of players who are focused on making sure that they they stick to the course that they follow the regulations because they know what's on hand and that's the leadership qualities right now and i think that's what's going to benefit the st louis blues of having guys like an alex petrangelo an alexander steen a craig baruby a steve Ott, a mike van ryan the leadership qualities in some of these players in the nhl i think is going to be a major reason why we do see the NHL complete its season. Well, I think I think you have a point, Alex, uh, for sure. I think for this Blues team uh, in particular, I think that those tests and those three players coming out and testing positive last two weeks, I think it's made it real for this team. And, yep. and I'll give you a, an example. You know, I think everyone sees what's going on in the world. But until you know someone who gets infected or you know someone in your neighborhood or maybe a close family friend, once you hear that, then I think it kind of becomes a reality for people. And then they kind of really start tightening up and thinking, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. so-and-so from down the street has it. That means anyone can get it. Because before, it's just kind of out there. It's kind of this fiction land where you hear about it, but you don't really see it. No one one you know has it. But for this Blues team, I think the three players testing positive – has really woken them up because naturally it wouldn't have otherwise for the reasons I just mentioned. So three players test positive, and now if you're, you know, let's say Vladimir Tarasenko or Alex Petrangelo or Ryan O'Reilly, you know that your buddy just got it yeah. potentially. And now I think it's great timing for the Blues to say, whoa, that that that's really close to home. Mm-hmm. We got to tighten this thing up, and we talked to Doug Armstrong about that. And they're going to have certain rules lined up for these players, saying we want it to be a part of the rink, and we want you to be a part of the family. Uh, nothing's perfect, but we're holding you guys as accountable as possible. Now hold yourselves accountable to be as responsible as you can, so we can go to Edmonton as close to as a whole piece as we're, we're, we're hoping for. And I think that when you have a coach and a general manager who are saying. Please do these things. Please be responsible. When you have Alex Petrangelo saying, boys, listen up. We got to be good here. We got to be smart. And then you have the reality that a couple of your buddies, a couple stalls over, had it. I think it really sets in that this is going to be a, a potential reality. So we really got to be focused and we really got to be um, just extra cautious. So I think that the timing of this uh, from a leadership standpoint and from a blue standpoint is actually pretty good because now they have a couple weeks before they leave and as the dates were just thrown out, Alex, even if they do have a couple more guys test positive before they get to phase four, 
travel day for Phase 4, they, they mentioned, is July 26th. Mm-hmm. The play-in rounds start August 1st. Doug Armstrong seems to think that the Blues won't even be playing any significant games until August 8th or 9th. Right. So if you do the math, by the time you get to the bubble and by the time you play that first round, potentially, you're looking at two weeks. So even if players do come in and they test positive, you're going to be within that safe bubble for hopefully at least a couple weeks before you play that first game. So knock on wood, the Blues should be healthy, assuming that the bubble is anything uh, similar to what we're seeing in in Europe with the soccer, for example, because that news just came out where you talk about people want to know how safe is this bubble. Uh, Zero tests. English Premier League, Mm -hmm. 1,900 plus trainers, coaches, players were all tested across the entire league. Not one positive test within four weeks of being in this bubble. So the bubble's effective. So if the Blues can get there close to a whole piece and they can be smart in that bubble, I think the bubble works for a reason. So, and again, the Blues get there two weeks later playing a significant game. It could work out in their benefit. And I know people's excuse to that because I saw it with the KBO because the KBO has done it so well too, Joe, of, of having very little, if not any, cases. Um, and people, well, they, you know, look at the way that they're going about it with the COVID cases. They're following the rules. There's not a lot of cases in general in that vicinity. That's why they picked Edmonton and Toronto. Right, the numbers right. continue to decline. Canada has it figured out, so that's why they're going to that place so that they can. When you're in that bubble, you know that you have the safety precautions in place. And I love what you stated there because it is kind of a wake-up moment for these guys. And that's why I think you're seeing more players get to Phase 2. I mean, Sammy Blay, who we're going to hear at the end of the show tonight, who talked with Curbs earlier today, you know, he just got into St. Louis for Phase 2 to be ready for Phase 3 on July 13th. You're going to get to the next couple of days before phase three opens in july 13th you're gonna have those three weeks to get guys there and if they do have cases pop up they can quarantine themselves so that when they get to that final stage of training camp and then to the travel part to get to the bubble and start the plays you're going to be 100 percent healthy which is going to benefit the teams that take advantage of that early rather than get guys there later yeah and i think that players are going to take it upon themselves to be responsible alex and I know that there are some people and some experts around the league that I've actually listened to on TSN and, and some, some reputable people that yeah. think that it's going to be a concern to keep these players within the bubble. You know, all this nonsense about, and, I, and I've had to answer these questions on some of the shows I've been a part of. Do you think these players can stay in this bubble? I mean, we're talking about hockey players. They love the party. They love their beers. They love their Molsons. They love their steakhouse. <laughs> like, to me, it's just, it, it's almost insulting to a yeah. degree because. It's we're not dealing with high school kids. I mean, these guys. Trust me, I was a part of the league. I like to have fun. We, when we spoke to John Scott, me and him had some good times together. We like to cut loose. We love the golf trips for sure. But we were professionals, and these Blues players and these players in the league, they are professionals for a reason. They take their craft seriously, and I believe, especially nowadays with what's going on, they're going to take these protocols and they're going to take these rules. They're going to take it extremely seriously. Where to a point that. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's going to be an issue. Even even the players that the ten guys that probably won't see any ice time. I think if you're, let's just say Mackenzie McEachern, for example, mm-hmm. let's say he's third or fourth on the depth chart to getting in a game, and he doesn't think he's going to get in. Regardless of that, if he wants to go out and have a good time, if I'm Alexander Steen or I'm Ryan O'Reilly, I'm grabbing him by the collar and saying, if you go out and you're selfish. You can put not only our team in jeopardy, but this whole thing in jeopardy. And I I believe these are the conversations that the leaders of these teams are going to be having, not with the 20 guys playing, 
but with the 31 guys that they're bringing on board. I mean, these are just rare times. It took a lot to get here. Uh, the financial burden, if it doesn't work, is going to be it's going to just trickle down, have a trickle down effect across the entire league, entire world for that matter. And so, if the Blues and all these players can suck it up for two weeks, three weeks, two months, whatever it's going to take. Trust me, these guys are pros. They are going to have those conversations, and I do not think it's going to be an issue at all. Yeah, and I, and if I know hockey players, and you know, one I work with, one like you, and I've been around them on a daily basis during the season, those guys know that they're not going to take advantage of something that they know the world is watching. Of yeah, people are stuck at home, people are furloughed, they lose their jobs. But we're out here playing and creating entertainment for people. They're not going to take that for granted, which I think is a very important factor in all of this. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We're going to take a break. We will come back with our number two, John Scott, the former enforcer, the former teammate of Joe Vitale. I'm pumped for this one. We'll get into that with John Scott next here on 101 ESPN. We're back in here on a Tuesday night. It's This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario along with Joe Vitale hanging out with you until 8 o'clock this evening. And we're going to have some fun now to open up our number two. It's a former teammate of Joe Vitale's. He's a former All-Star Game MVP. And he has a phenomenal book and a phenomenal podcast out. The podcast is called Dropping the Gloves, which new episodes are released every Wednesday and Friday. And I'm telling you, if you're a hockey fan, you need to check out this podcast. I believe most recently, or maybe this was a while ago, it might have been the one that had popped up with me. He talked with Jonathan Taves, his former teammate, Joe, and I loved every single second of it. But he is John Scott. John, how are you tonight, sir? Thank you so much for taking some time out and hopping on with us. I'm great. Thank you guys for having me on. It's such an honor. I'm so blessed to love. John, John, John. I mean, so Alex introduces you as the NHL All-Star MVP. Do you do you require every show you go on that they intro you with that? It's a prerequisite. I won't do a show without that kind of intro. And that was, yeah, it's in the contract. Rightfully so. When you're an MVP of the All-Star Game, you have to be introduced that way. All right. One thing I will say about John. uh, John is a hockey player, um, the epitome of a hockey player. And what I mean by that is not that he fought. He played in the league a long time. Hockey players say exactly what's on their mind, and they are as cutthroat people as you will ever find. So I I ran into John my last year in Phoenix before I got knocked out. And we're in (laughs) camp. Okay, so we're in camp. So John Scott, they just signed. What they signed like the league minimum. Don Maloney probably threw like 400000 at you or something just to kind of um we need an enforcer essentially so then john I 800 000 whatever slided him 400 grand whatever. joe i can't believe he gave you that contract <laughs> by the way anyway okay so we're at camp we're at camp and john literally is on the boards and he's like okay so you're a fourth liner huh joe i go yeah he goes and who's this guy I go that's kyle chip Jury. He's like, okay so i need chippy to go on waivers i need you to blow out a knee and get hurt and if we do those two things i should be good for opening night and I just remember looking at you, and you were dead serious. Like, you weren't even kidding, not even a little bit. I mean, you just you just went after the jugular in that moment. Yeah, everybody always beats around the bush. Everyone's like, oh, everyone's best friends. But it's like, no, I'd like to play. I'd like to get out there and get some ice. So, like, if, if someone goes down with an injury, that's just more ice for me. I'm just being realistic with the situation. I say the things out loud, everybody thinks. That, that's the difference. You were, you were the guy in the weight room during a game, like me and you would be working out while our team's out there just battling, and so-and-so would get hurt, and you'd be like, oh, baby, okay, I'm going to go hit another bench press here really quickly because you never know. I think, I think it's my turn. I think it's my turn. Meanwhile, you'd like, be tripping me up around the squad racks while I got hurt. That's even if the game was on. I hated watching the game. Oh, I throw a football game on or watch the biggest loser or something like that. I don't know. I just, 
Once you've been in the league 10 years, it's like, yeah, no thanks. You want to go to the press box? No, I'm good. I'm going to sit and eat popcorn and watch TV. John, that's something that I've learned about hockey players as well, that they say whatever they want because Joe Vitale in the middle of broadcast during the Stanley Cup championship is talking about male anatomy. He's talking about where nipples come from. Like, this guy has no filter. It just comes straight out. I just think we're normal guys. I, I don't think it's any different than if you're with a your group of your buddies who never played hockey at all. I, I think when you think of sports people, you think of guys who are buttoned up and just kind of reserved. But hockey guys, for the most part, are, are pretty laid back, and we're, we're cut from a different cloth from the other athletes. So I think you, you find that. And more so the four fine guys, because I think we're a little more normal than the guys who make the 10 schmell. Like, we're, we're the guys. We make good money, but we're not like the, the multi-multi-millionaires like, like the other guys. John, did you find it was hard when you retired when you uh, to adjust to society and the way other people conduct themselves or handle themselves or speak to each other? Like, I, I, I definitely tripped up on my words a lot at, like, you know, parish school carnivals or church get-togethers with, like, donuts and coffee. You know, my wife would be like, you, you can't say that to these people. Like, did you find that it was hard to get readjusted to society that way? It wasn't so much the cussing, because I wasn't a big, like, I'm going to, like, swear and effing and jeffing guy. It was just the topic, and just, like, calling people out, like, my friend would look a little overweight, and I'd be like, Neil, looking a little fat today. And, like, stuff like that, where my wife was like, you can't say that to your friend. Like, why not? He looks like a little tubby today. Like, why not? Like, give the heads up. And just stuff like that, where it's just normal in the locker room, and it just doesn't fly in society, because I, I think it's, you have to be polite. you got to be nice to people. You can't just call people fat and ugly and expect to get away with it. Yeah, I've learned that also in hockey. You got to find ways to have a thick skin when you're around like a Joe Vitale. You got to learn to be able to to handle the insults. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to make it. Oh, there was a good two year stretch in Chicago where some guys they would give me a toothbrush every day because they said my my breath smelled terrible. And for Secret Santa, they gifted me like this really expensive mouth washing thing because they thought it was hilarious. <laughs> like well, I had bad breath. And I was like, guys, I don't have bad breath, and it gave me a complex where I would always chew gum and brush my teeth like four times a day. I'm like, do I really have stinky breath? What's going on here? You know, I had the same thing they happen. Heard. I had the same thing. Uh, so where I was in Pittsburgh, and so Jerome Aginla, he just got traded, and here I am in the bathroom. I just shower. I'm ready to go home. I put some baby powder down my pants, you know, because like, I like to be fresh down there. And I kind of like, I kind of mm-hmm. waft my boxers. I didn't touch my junk, but I kind of waft my boxers. And then I just kind of like said, all right, see you later. He goes, what the hell was that? I go, what, what do you mean? He goes, you ain't going to wash your hands? I go, well, I, I didn't really touch anything. I just kind of wafted my boxers. He goes, he, goes, that's, he goes, that's effing disgusting. Wash your hands. So then he churned me for like two weeks and I'm like the most uh, unhygienic player he's ever played with. And I just, he roasted me for a good two weeks. I'll never forget it. And now I see all this Hall of Fame stuff. I'm like, that's a bad guy. Iggy's a bad guy. <laughs> Which is a strange thing because when you think about cleanliness and parts of your body, which are the most clean, like your private area never sees the light of day. It's soaked up and then it's put away fresh. It's like it's not like a dirty place. Like I'd be more concerned if you like you touched your eyes or your ears or your face. Like that's greasy. I would assume your your undergarments are pretty fresh. Thanks, Jerome. Buddy. I appreciate Weirdo. it. Jerome. See, see, this is it. I, I knew John Scott was going to be gold, but we got into the private and the cleanliness conversation, and we're six minutes in. This is gold right here. We're talking with John Scott, retired NHL player. Again, the podcast that he's a part of is Dropping the Gloves. Comes out every Wednesday and Friday. The recent episode that I talked about when I opened the show was with Brian Boyle, so make sure you check out their podcast. John, I'm curious because you were in the NHL during the labor disputes and 
the negotiations that went back and forth. How impressed are you of the way that the NHL and the NHLPA has handled this back and forth and the CBA extension that we're expected to have? I think they've done a miraculous job just to kind of expedite that process and to get a five-year deal out of it. And I was looking at the terms, and it was pretty fair across the board. I think the players gave a little, the owners gave a little, and they worked through items which are usually pretty hard items to work through, the escrow, the salary cap, those types of things. And I think they kind of found a happy balance. I was amazed because usually those those calls and those meetings are just cutthroat where calls get hung up and people are cussing at Gary Bettman, stuff like that. I was a part of the negotiation committee. When I was, um, when we got locked out in, gosh, what year was that? 2014 or 13 or something like that? Yep, 13, and 14. It, it, was, it was not cordial at all. So this seems, I think they realized there was a bigger picture and a bigger kind of play at stake where we need to get back on the ice and kind of normalize what's going on and get people's lives back to normal. And I'm glad it worked out. And hopefully we can kind of keep this momentum rolling here. Yeah, you know, I lost a lot of money in 13 and 14. I, I didn't realize that you were representing us. Uh, that may have been part of the problem, John. We had Craig Adams. He was oh. a Harvard grad. Where did you go to school? Michigan Tech, mechanical engineer. Did Adams graduate? Oh, okay. Uh, I think he did. Yeah, I think he's working for some like yeah. big uh, Wall Street. Company. He just he just dropped MIT. Not a big deal. <laughs> he just yeah. you, you tried to oh, big play well, him with Harvard, and he just said MIT. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. I'm a mechanical engineer, Joe. No big deal. Sorry about that. Hey, you know, I did want to ask you, though, about in regards <laughs> to that. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> My bad. Uh, hey, you know, but John, you know, you played in the league a long time. You know what that, again, we talked about the hockey culture and what that, what that means, uh, the desire to compete for these players. You're looking at Major League Baseball. Players are opting out. Uh, you're starting to see it maybe a little bit with football, the NBA potentially as well. Now, we up to this point in tonight's show, we have not had one NHL player come forth and say, I don't feel comfortable playing or I don't want to play. Uh, not to say that there would be any problem with that. We completely respect these decisions, but no NHL players have come out and said that. Um, what, 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 do you, what do you feel about that? Do you think it's part of that hockey culture or is it just, is it more to that? But there is something to be said about these players and how they just, they just want to get back. I mean, I was saying it the other day, no one, no one screams and cries and no one cheers when you load a dishwasher, but uh, for Vladimir Tarasenko, for example, I mean, these guys truly want to get back and play the sport they love, don't they? Yeah, and I feel like, just like I said earlier, the, the players are cut from a different cloth. I, I don't see the individual, individualization like I do in other sports. In basketball, you have, like, the star. You know, in baseball, you have a few big sluggers and a couple big star pitchers where you, you, there's one or two guys. There's a, they're the individuals of that team. Hockey, I think it's more of a team sport. I, I, if the whole team goes, we're all going. If one guy doesn't go, then none of us go. I, that's the sense that I get. I've talked to a few guys around the league, and I don't feel like anybody wants to bow out. Like, if it was me personally and I was a fourth liner who wasn't going to play in the playoffs, I'd be like, see it, fellas. Like, i got to go. But <laughs> for the most part, I, I don't see anybody falling out unless they have, like, an uh, underlying symptom. They have asthma. They have diabetes. Something like that where it could get serious if they got the disease. But other than that, I think hockey is a more kind of – it's a solid unit, you know what I mean? And that's not a good or a bad thing. I just think that's the culture of the sport. Well, what do you think that life is going to be like, John, for these hockey players? You know, 24-team bubble, basically, in Edmonton or in Toronto, being locked down, going to basically the hockey rink or back to the hotel. Is that going to be difficult for these guys, or do you feel like this is something that they might strive in because the focus is for that Stanley Cup? 
Yeah, it's, it won't be any different than being on the road, honestly. When you go on the road, you go to eat, you go to the hotel, and that's about it. What will be different, I think, is after week one and two when you're still in that situation. So hopefully the league puts something in place where you can visit your family if you have kids or a wife or whatever, just to get away for a few hours or a day or something like that, a built-in day off. But I don't see that being an issue. I think the guys are ready to play. They've been out of the game for a while. They want to, you know, compete for the cup. And when you put that Stanley Cup up there, I think everything else kind of falls away and you just focus on that. And, yeah, this will heighten the tension a little bit more. Like, this is all you're focused on. I I initially thought the hockey was going to kind of lack because of no fans. But when it's all you're focused on, like, it might even be better hockey. You never know. John, I was listening to Brian Burke the other day talk about this, and a lot of experts in the league have said this, and I would love your thoughts on it because I have a, I have my opinion about it, but they said that they're going to have a problem. These teams are going to have a problem getting to these cities and not going out and not partying and not having beers and not having a good time. And I, I was a little insulted by it because I'm thinking, yeah, these guys like to have fun. Like, we love to have fun. But we also took our profession to a professional level where we understood the risk and how, how, what was at stake, essentially. So I feel as if these players are going to take this very seriously. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, if, if you're in a lineup, and there's two different types of players because there's 31 guys who are going to go with them, there's going to be the 20 guys who you know are going to play, and there's going to be the one guy who might get in if there's an injury. It's the other 10 guys I think you're going to have to worry about. It's, it's, the, it's the bottom six, seven guys who they know they're not going to play regardless of what happens, injuries, whatever. They are not getting in the lineup. It's those guys who are going to maybe try to sneak out and do something. But for the most part, the, the 20 guys who are in the lineup, they are going to be laser-focused. There's, You're in the playoffs. Like, I know when I was on teams that made deep runs, drinking was not even an option. Like, if, if you won the series, then you went out and you had a, had a little fun. But during the, during the playoffs, you had a couple drinks after the game, and that was it. Like, if that. So I think Brian Burke's maybe just trying to, get a headline or something and saying, oh, these players are crazy and young and they just want to go out and have fun. That's, that's not the case at all. I, I agree with you, Joe, or it won't be an issue until you get a guy who is number 31 on the roster list and he's like, all right, well, he's from the Toronto area and he wants to go see his family or go see his girlfriend. That's where you might see an issue. Well, and for those 10 players that you mentioned who aren't going to get in, I feel like it's changed. Like if this happened 20 years ago, then you really got to worry about the guys hitting the town. But I feel like for those 10 players in that hotel room in Edmonton, I think the league just and the teams just, you give them a couple TikTok accounts and maybe some Fortnite and they should be good to go, right? <laughs> I don't know what TikTok is, but I, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. I, I hope they like let them have fun. It said that in the deal that they were going to let them go golf, maybe or go have an outing here and there. But I don't know. Like these young kids, maybe they're not as fun as kids used to be because I don't know. They just play video games, and that's that's all they need. Kids are losers these days. Well, John, you got to be careful. Don't you have like seven kids? <laughs> How many kids do you have? I do have five. Yeah, yes. like, one on the way. My wife is literally. Minutes away from having another baby. Shut so this up. Is for a while. Yeah. She's in the, in my bedroom right now. Like, her due date is two days from now. So this will be number six. Congrats. I'm glad you have your priorities straight and you decided to talk some hockey with us, though. No, of course. Yeah, of course. That's Joe, right. anything for you, Joe. That's Thank all right, John. Uh, Joe's got four, which I'm assuming he says there's no more, but we'll probably see at least three more before we end it. Oh, I love that. I'll you got to populate the earth, you guys. Come yeah, on. I know. We're losing more and more every day. We got we to start making more. <laughs> John, I'll leave you with this, man. Uh, we opened up, and Joe asked you if it was mandatory for us to introduce you or any show that you come on to be in an NHL All-Star MVP. Joe makes it 
a mandatory thing that we have to introduce him as a player who was traded straight up for Pavel Datsuk. Mm. Oh, yeah. But no, not pa- Pavel Datsuk's contract. No, 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 not no, Pavel no. Not No, no, no. See, you're wrong. It, it was Pavel Datsuk. That, that's the way I lay it out there. <laughs> No, it's contract. That's a different. That's that's a completely different thing. <laughs> John, it has been a pleasure to get to talk with you, man. Again, if you, if you haven't listened to it yet, check out Dropping the Gloves podcast. Uh, it's a hockey podcast that John is a part of, and they come out with new episodes every Wednesday and Friday night. John, thank you again so much for hopping on and taking some time out and uh, bashing on Joe for a little bit, and we look forward to having you on again soon. Anytime, you guys. Yeah, stay safe out there. We'll see you. Thanks, John. Once again, John Scott, former NHL forward, former NHL MVP of the All-Star Game, and former teammate of Joe Vitale's. We'll take a break. We'll come back. John mentioned a player that I want to discuss who's headed into the Hall of Fame. We'll get into that next with Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. It's This Week in Hockey here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Tuesday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale, this week in hockey with you. And finally, some positive things to talk about. We've talked with Doug Armstrong already. We've talked with John Scott. But let's get into a little bit more and a little deeper with this extension potentially in the CBA. And again, it's a tentative agreement right now between the NHL and NHL Players Association of a basically six-year extension. It's the two years that are in place and then four more years with the NHL and NHLPA. And finally, some concrete data for the return to play of Phase 3 and Phase 4. Scott Burnside of The Athletic covers the NHL, graciously giving us some time tonight. Scott, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well. I'd like to use a baseball analogy. I feel like I'm well down the order, though, given your earlier guests. So uh, maybe there's a little, there's less pressure on me to produce then. <laughs> well down the order, but more informed. We'll put that one, Scott. You may be towards the end of the show, but we're still pumped to get to talk with you because you have all the insight on this. And that's the main thing I want to jump off with. Just let's start with the uh, the initial reaction to this kind of resolution between NHL and NHLPA of being able to come to an agreement on the CBA extension on top of the phase three and phase four with everything that's been going on. Yeah, I, I think, and Joe obviously will have a, a, an excellent perspective on this, but having been around for a lockout that cost an entire 0405 season, having spent uh, half a year waiting during the 2012 lockout, uh, it, 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 I think it's nothing short of remarkable that the NHLPA and the league have been able to um, come together on a groundbreaking CBA agreement that, of course, is intrinsically tied to all of the details that are going into the return to play protocols for uh, certainly for phase three which will begin after the the ratification vote on july 13th but more importantly perhaps the the protocols of the two hub cities in edmonton and toronto that will see a resumption of play if all goes according to plan on august 1st and somewhere uh in the first week of october or so the awarding of the Stanley Cup, and, and given the history of these two sides, um, what they have accomplished in the most dire of circumstances, uh, I think a lot of people I've talked to on both sides of the fence, from the player side and the management ownership side, um, I, I believe that this might be the best absolute deal in the worst absolute circumstances, if I can put it that way. Scott, you brought up uh, baseball when we started there, and and my question is a baseball question, although this is a hockey show, so hopefully you can just answer it quickly. But based off of the dire situation you just said, 
and the, what the NHL and the Players Association was able to do under such uncertainty, not only with the return to play, but also throwing a CBA extension. Do you think this is now, with it becoming public, do you think this is a, a, a warning shot or at least a wake-up call for the Major League Baseball to get down and, and get their pencil sharpened and try to get a deal done? <laughs> well, again, I, you know, I don't know baseball, uh, but I do know um, in talking to a number of people that, that they feel that this puts the, the, the NHL and the NHLPA in, a, in an extremely positive light. And, and I think given some of the things that have happened with baseball, I mean, including the inability to get tests done in a timely basis, um, you know, again, we, we go back to the NHL, which paused on March 12th. I think what has been striking for me has been the real patience um, that the return to play committee has gone at this with the real focus on the testing protocols that will go on certainly in starting with phase two but right through phase four and the actual games um it, it, it's it's something you can't rush and i think we've seen some of the other leagues maybe some of the pitfalls of, of trying to get things done cutting corners or not working truly in concert uh together and it and it is and it, it this is the kind of thing that it doesn't take much to unravel the whole thing and who knows what happens with the nhl listen we it's a, there's still a lot of a lot of miles to travel before this thing gets done but i think at the end of the day you can't fault the NHL and the NHLPA for the effort that was put into dealing with the details, and maybe that hasn't been the case with the other leagues. Well, Scott, I promise it's the only baseball question I'll ever ask you, (laughs) and never on the show. But hey, I wanted to touch on, you mentioned Gary Bettman too, and he was a huge part of this. Uh, Is it my imagination, or do you feel the same way? Do you think the story is going to shift for Gary Bettman as far as how much people are going to fall in love with him if this thing can actually work and we see a Stanley Cup champion in October? Well, let's not step out uh, too far there. <laughs> but, no, I'm just, I, I, I'm just kidding. And it, I, I think it's—I think you raise an excellent point. And and I know, you know, having known Gary a long time, and and I think he uh, he puts up with a lot. And of course, sort of, you know, there's been I think some quiet jokes about he won't know what to do. He shows up in an arena and there are no fans to boo him. But um, I really do think, you know, I, yeah, I, I think it's—I think it's an excellent point, and I do think that. You know, at the end of the day, if they are able to pull this off, um, again, because the CBA isn't about just getting back to play this summer and awarding a Stanley Cup. If that happens, that's a tremendous a tremendous accomplishment if they can do it safely. And, um, you know, here's hoping that, that that's the way it unfolds. But uh, the, this whole deal is about uh, recovery. It's about helping this game heal after – um, a pandemic that has caused so much devastation around the world. And, you know, of course, in, in terms of human lives, in terms of the loss of life, in terms of people who are sick, but also in terms of the economy, right? I mean, this is, you know, this is the NHL's no different than any other business. It's going to take months and months and years and years to come back from this. But I think this document, this CBA, um, it is is the roadmap for that kind of recovery. I talked to an NHL executive about this this morning, believes that this is the best possible situation to move forward. And, and again, when you've got adversaries who haven't always been, you know, haven't been able to see the light in terms of seeing what's good for both sides, um, I think both Donald Fear, the head of the NHLPA, and Gary Bettman um, deserve a, a huge tip of the hat. Uh, if this can, if I assume it's going to get ratified, and and the, if this moves forward, um, yeah, I don't know whether uh, adoration. I'm not sure we'll see Gary Bettman statues, but boy, I my guess my guess is he'll get a, a lot warmer reception around the NHL uh, if they're 
able to pull this off. And, and frankly, he should. That's the way it should happen. Well, he's already a Hall of Famer, so let's add a statue <laughs> on top of it with Gary Bettman. Again, we're talking with Scott Burnside from The Athletic here on This Week in Hockey. Joe Vitale, I'm Alex Ferrario. Uh, a couple of specifics I wanted to ask you about, Scott. And again, this is just kind of all still tentative because both sides do need to agree upon this with the CBA extension. But the salary cap, now we were kind of curious of what this was going to look like, and the reports are that it's going to kind of stay around that $81.5 million for the 2020-2021 season, what it was for this past season. What kind of, of effect do you think that's going to have on teams with all of the revenue lost, of course, with this season not being able to play all the way through? Yeah, no, it's it's going to be a huge thing, and, and you're right. It's going to stay at eighty point uh, eighty one point five million uh, next year, and 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 really until the revenues get back up to almost what they were this year at four point eight billion dollars, and then there'll be a different formula imposed uh, to come up with a salary cap after the revenues get back to that point. But uh, to your question, it, it's going to have a huge impact, and it's going to have an impact especially on teams with very little salary cap space right now. It's going to have an impact on teams like the St. Louis Blues, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. I talked to somebody who's familiar with the Leafs and said they're a team that basically they need to win now because um, their salary cap situation is going to be very, very difficult with the flattening of the cap given what's what's happened with the pandemic. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not going to be easy. I'll tell you, teams, I talked to a, a cap specialist the other day who said, if you're a team with cap space, you're going to rule the roost because it will allow you to pick up players probably that you might not be able to. Uh, it go, it's going to give you a ton of flexibility moving forward and, and maybe uh, the ability to reform your team very quickly. Um, so it, it is going to make life very difficult um, and it's going to, you know, I feel badly for, for players who are heading into uh, unrestricted free agency. Guys like Alex Petrangelo or Taylor Hall or Tori Krug uh, go down the list because because this is the absolute worst time to be a USA. But again, it's economy of scale, right? I mean, compared to um, you know what's happened to a lot of people in a, in, in a lot of different places, the fact that you won't be able to maximize your value as a USA is is a relatively small thing. But it is a real thing in the context of the hockey world, and, and that's certainly going to be one of the byproducts of the cap staying the same for the next uh, couple of years at least. Well, that was going to be my follow-up, Scott. What do you think this does to Alex Petrangelo's uh, potential ability to stay in St. Louis? Well, I, I think, you know, and I rarely speak for top-end USAs, whether it's Alex Petrangelo <laughs> or Taylor Hall or whatever, but, but I think now the thinking will have to be, you know, it, it, you factor in your lifestyle, you factor in what you know, where you want to live, what you want to achieve as a hockey player. And I think those are all always been the factors for high-end UFAs when they make a decision, especially when you have a player who spent as much time and has meant as much to the Blues as Alex Petrangelo has. Um, and it may also be a, a reversal of thinking where um, you, you you think about a one- or two-year deal or a two- or three-year deal because you think that maybe that helps you bridge to a time when the salary cap rises again and, 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 and puts you in a position where you can maximize your earning potential that maybe you can't right now. So it may just be that you're factoring in a lot of different things that you might not otherwise have been saying, okay, can I get seven years times 10 here or whatever? Uh, I think it just may broaden the scope on what you have to look at. Um, you know, my sense is that, that 
that the Blues would love to have Alex Petrangelo long term, um, but they may also be in a position, especially with the cap going the way it is, um, that that's going to be difficult to do. So it's going to be fascinating, you know, for guys like Alex, for guys like Tory Krug, and you know Taylor Hall, the former Hart Trophy winner. Um, I'm sure they didn't imagine that this would be the UFA landscape that they would be uh, approaching uh, two or three years ago. Scott, I wanted to switch gears just for my last question with you is in going back to the return to play. One area that I guess I haven't gotten any clarification on, I haven't found anywhere, I was wondering if you could help me out with or have any insight on, is when they get to this bubble and someone tests positive, what is the protocol for that player in particular? Let's say it's Alex Ovechkin. In the second round, he gets a positive test. Is it an automatic 14-day quarantine cannot play? Or is there other some other sort of uh, protocol that the NHL is working with where it's like it has to be two negative tests in a row? Or Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, it, it, uh, definitely it's, uh, it's not an automatic 14-day. Um, if you're doing the testing, you know, first of all, you get a positive test. You, you, you are going to be isolated from everyone else. They'll do contact tracing on uh, people that you've been in contact with within, I think it's um, uh, 15 minutes within six feet. So if you spent 15 minutes uh, with someone within a, a you know a distance of six feet, those people will all be tested as well as as quickly as possible. Um, there will be a secondary test to confirm the uh, positive test. If that is negative, you have another test. You need you 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 do need two negative tests in a row um, to be able to go back into uh, participation. Um, and once it, if the positive test is confirmed, um, then you are isolated. And you're continued to be tested until you're symptom free. It could be could be ten days. Um, it, it could be there are a couple of different um, scenarios. Once you do test positive, though, uh, and depending on whether you're asymptomatic or symptomatic, so there's some variables with it. Uh, but basically, if you do pass, test positive, um, it would require two negative tests in a row within 24 hours for you to to get back into a, a game situation. Well, we're looking forward to hopefully Phase 3 and Phase 4. Again, the dates right now, July 13th, are when training camps would open up, and August 1st would be the first play in the Bubble City. Scott Burnside of The Athletic, thanks again for uh, taking some time out and hopping on with us tonight, sir. It's great to get the chance to talk with you, and we look forward to uh, hopefully talking about hockey playoffs soon. Anytime, guys. My pleasure. Again, that's Scott Burnside. You can check him out on Twitter at Overtime Scott B of the Athletic. Interesting information there about the CBA extension. Hopefully, which we'll find out in the next couple of days, and of course, return to play Phase Three and Phase Four. We'll come back when we do. There a little from Sammy Blay, the Blues forward who was back in St. Louis. He talked with Chris Kerber. That's next on this week in hockey here on 101 ESPN. Joe Batali, Alex Ferrario back with you again. Thank you to John Scott for hopping on with us tonight and check out that podcast. Phenomenal stuff. And anytime I feel like I always line up guests, Joe, or I ask you to line up guests of guys that you played with previously because they provide the best content. Yeah, I think that people love just like ripping on me. So <laughs> I think they feel necessarily very comfortable right when they say, yeah, you're, you're going to be on. Yeah, I'll do it with Sounds you. Sounds like my life in the broadcast booth with you and Curbs. <laughs> uh, they'll find a way to chirp me and uh, 
you know, I think when you're having fun, I think they their personalities really could come out. And that's at the end of the day, you know, Alex, I want all the fans to see these personalities. We all yeah. hear about them in the locker room. But getting these guys to open up on the air and across the waves is, is not always the easiest thing. But if they do it, people always have good laughs. So you played with John. And, and you obviously, you're in the media now as a former NHL player. And you and I have talked before. Guys who are like, oh, yeah, he'll be a perfect media member yeah. if he ever gets to that point. Did you ever expect John Scott to be that guy? Knew it. Knew it from really? the moment I met him. Like, you I mean, you heard him. He's he's hilarious. He's dry. He'll say a joke, and you don't know if it's funny, and you look at him, he'll kind of look at you. He's just, he's got that personality. He he says exactly what's on his mind. He will chirp you to your face, and uh, and he's cutthroat. I remember we were on a bus to Sedona for a team-building exercise, our team-building trip in Arizona, and one of the players is talking, and he didn't realize but he who he had a brother in the league. I'm not going to say who it was, but so we had a player on our team who also had a brother in the league, and John's like, Wait, that's your brother who plays for Adi Adi Adi? He's like, yeah. He goes, I hate that guy. I couldn't stand him. He's the biggest loser. And he starts ripping to his brother. And we're all like, and this is like a weekend of us just getting to know him as a team building trip in like September. I'm like, oh, this guy's going to be gold. Yeah. Now, he's so right, though. And I don't want this to sound disrespectful because I, I personally can say I've covered baseball locker rooms. I've covered football locker rooms. Hockey players are the most down to earth athletes out of any of them because they're always willing to talk and open up and joke around. But John Scott nailed it on the head. Those fourth line fringe mm-hmm. players, those are the ones that have the biggest personalities and always seem to be the guys that end up in the media. I mean, yourself, a Cam Jansen, a Jamie Rivers, a John Scott. I mean, those guys who are those fourth lines, they're the ones that can open up and just really not give a you-know-what because they've, they've, they've played their career. They've mm-hmm. lived their life of kind of always fighting for a spot, and they're going to continue to play that way. Well, I think there's always, I tell people that, like your point, Alex, there's two reasons for that, I think. You look at uh, what Ryan Whitney's doing and Paul Bissonnette. Yeah. Um, you have uh, John Scott. Uh, there's so many so many players along those lines that are fourth-line guys. I think there's two reasons. Number one is you, you punch in the face a lot when you're on the fourth line. <laughs> Smart. I, think it, I think it humbles you. I think it, it centers you. You, you don't. You realize you're not bigger than anyone else. You realize uh, that it's a team thing, and you basically put your life on the line to some degree, or you at least your body on the line yeah. most nights for your teammates. And that's a really humbling process. And I think that brings out the best in those those kind of guys' personalities. Number one, but number two, when you're in the fourth line, you don't play a lot, so you become very observant. So instead of worrying about your next shift or worrying about what you got to do with your line mates or what faceoff play we're going to run, you're on the bench for the most part of those games, especially when it's a tight game. And then you're just watching, you're observing, and I'm watching Sidney Crosby. Do this and John Scott's watching Keithy and hop over the board and say something to a line mate, or you're observant with what Dave Tippett has to say uh, in, in a certain locker room because you're less worried about the game and just worried about what's happening around you. Right. So you collect a lot of good stories that way because you're so observant because you know you're not playing a lot. <laughs> well, and I can attest to in the locker room, the Blues locker room, the fourth line guys. That corner is probably the most exciting corner to be around when you're in there. Isn't it great, Mackenzie McEachern? When Chris Thorburn was a part yep. of the team, I would hang out with those guys. Chris Butler. A Seventh, eighth defenseman for the Blues Sammy last Blay year. right now. Sammy, Sammy Shotgun. I mean, they just sit there and they just have nothing but time to kill, and yeah. they just love observing things and and just telling stories. And like they have all. such a sense of humor. Even Troy Brower, who was here this season with the Blues, like he, he I mean, he's what 33, 34 years old. He's at the end of his career in the NHL. He would just come off of skate and sit back in his locker and just listen to people talk. Oh, he would. And then he would start telling stories. And it was tequila. so good. Loves tequila. Mm-hmm. We talked about tequila for a like lot of us. An too. Hour. Yeah. A 
lot of us do. Well, we we had a story with John Scott that I wanted to touch on a little bit. It was a different angle, but the story led me to it. Um, the uh, the junk accuser Jerome McGinley yeah. of Joe Vitale. He's a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. You got accused of not washing your hands after touching your junk by well, a Hall I of Famer. No, I didn't touch my junk. I, I wafted wow. my waistband. That's what I'm, I said. I'm, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe a Hall of Famer or are you going to believe Joe Vitale? I mean, <laughs> where true. are we going with this? No, but look, I, I always loved watching Jerome McGinley play those mm-hmm. years with the Calgary Flames. One, because Craig Conroy was one of my favorite players growing up, and watching him dominate with Jerome McGinley was so much fun. But the class this year, I, I really think it's a really strong cl- ca- class when you think of Jerome Ginla, who unfortunately never won a Stanley Cup but he was still a part of a lot of teams mm-hmm. uh, Marion Hosa who won the Stanley Cups of course with the Chicago Blackhawks and then you had Kevin Lowe Doug Wilson Kim St. Pierre on the female side and then Ken Holland going in as general manager that's a pretty stacked class Joe to start things off with a Jerome Ginla and a Marion Hosa in 2015 I believe is when Ray Shiro traded for Jerome Ginla he brought him in Pittsburgh at the deadline, there was one person in the city of Pittsburgh that was not happy about that trade. And that was Joe Vitale. And that was me, because that meant I was watching the game from the bleachers. And that was unfortunate, but I eventually got back in for those playoffs and actually played a couple games alongside of them. You talk about a dynamite player, a fierce warrior, but just the most humble uh, down-to-earth human being you ever be around. For all the years he was in that league, up to that point he got traded to Pittsburgh, I expected some arrogant guy, to his head too big to get to the door. It was the opposite. He treated everyone with respect. It was please and thank you to all the trainers. He was just a model citizen uh, for me and, and for all the young players about how to conduct yourselves at, as, as an NHL player. It was his pass that led Canada to the gold in 2010 in Vancouver. We were with him and Niedermeyer, wasn't it? Yeah, Niedermeyer, he, he again, passed Lynn, the Crosby. puck to, or he put the puck to the net, and then that's Crosby right. was the one that stuffed it home. Like, that's right. That's an incredible career. But how about this one? I saw this, and I forgot who. I think Mike Heike might have tweeted this out. He is the first draft pick of the Dallas Stars that's going into the Hall of Fame. Is that right? So he's the first draft pick, and you don't you think Jerome McGinley? You think the Calgary Flames? Yeah. But he is the first draft pick that goes into the Hall of Fame for Dallas. Now that could be bad for Dallas of looking like the biggest f up that you had, but yeah. still, I think that's a pretty cool feat when you have somebody that you drafted to bring into the NHL make the Hall of Fame. Well, that's amazing. Another amazing thing is another man you just mentioned in Hosa, who yeah. also elected. You know, uh, a lot of people forget this about him. He played for the Pittsburgh Penguins. When they lost in the final to the Detroit Red Wings. And then he went to Detroit the next year and lost to Pittsburgh. Right. What year was that? Was that 08? I think that was 08 09. 08 09. So he's playing for Pittsburgh. They lose to the Red Wings. So he goes all the way and loses. Offseason, he gets traded or he signs with the Red Wings. They go to the final again and against the Pittsburgh Penguins again. And yep. now Pittsburgh wins and he loses. So he lost with the Penguins. He loses, he loses with the Detroit Red Wings. And he goes back for the third year in a row with the Chicago Blackhawks yep. and third time's a charm. And he wins it. I mean, that's an incredible story. You talk about a player and he was kind of approaching his older years at that point. I mean, I would say he was definitely in his prime, but definitely not. He wasn't a spring chicken. To go to the final lose, final lose, and then final again with the Chicago Blackhawks and win. He, he was a beast. I never played with him. I played against him a lot, especially his Chicago years. He was a big body like Brian Boyle. You could not move him. Super skilled, super crafty. He was like Pat Maroon with a little bit more speed and just more size, if that makes any yeah. sense at all. I mean, super skilled guy. And uh, congratulations to to both of them, two incredible human beings. And that and that's important when this uh, induction um, committee is looking at these people. It's not just about stats and numbers. It's about what kind of people they were, uh, what kind of reputation they had. And both um, 
one I know firsthand, one I've heard um, from other players that they were just terrific people. Yeah, and Marion Hosa, I mean, who played 19 seasons. Unfortunately, his career had to be ended because of the, I think there were headaches that he was having that affected yeah. his game. Um, but still a phenomenal player offensively and defensively in those times with the Chicago Blackhawks. But every time these come out, Joe, it always gets to the point, and we've had this conversation and broadcast before on This Week in Hockey of players who missed out on the Hall of Fame, who still have a shot, obviously, but you're getting to the point now where more retired players are getting that shot. So, I mean, you're at the point where a Pavel Datsuk is going to start to be considered for the Hall of Fame and mm-hmm. a Henrik Zetterberg for the Hall of Fame. And there's some players that are on the outside trying to get in, like a Daniel Alfredson, who I thought was going to be a lock this season mm-hmm. to get into the Hall of Fame. But unfortunately, he didn't make it into this. Jeremy Roenick was another one. You know, Keith Kachuk. That's a big one, yeah. Who, that's the one. And Jeremy Rutherford made a great case on this weekend, or on um, Rivs and BK a couple weeks ago. Rivs did the same thing. Of course, his teammate, talking about a guy who is one of the top American-born players in the NHL history and still isn't in the Hall of Fame yet, but they're starting to have to take a backseat to other players who are retiring, yeah. which is kind of frustrating because you want to see players like that make the Hall of Fame. You do, and it is unfortunate for Keith because, you know, he, he falls under this category, and gosh, I wish I had him off the top of my head because I would have sounded like a genius, but he's <laughs> one of three players that have, you know, played 1,000 games, had 500 goals, and a certain amount of points. So he's hit like a goal plateau, a point plateau, and a games plateau, and he's only one of three players to, to hit all three of those. So you look at that stat alone and you wonder how can it be you know unfortunately a lot of the critics out there think that uh, given what Keith and, and the reason why he's not in is because he just doesn't have the hardware um, to back yeah. to back that up unfortunately uh, for him he wasn't a part of any Blues teams that went to the, a lot of finals or obviously didn't want to see on the cup so uh, and to me that that's unfortunate because I hate to see that individual players being inducted uh, as a representation of the teams they were they were on like yeah. you're not going to keep Dan Marino from the from the Hall of Fame because he never won any hardware. Right. You know? and, and I'm not saying that Keith Kachuk is the equivalent of Dan Marino for the respected sports, but at the same time, though, I think it has to be some respect for what the individual does because at the end of the day, it's the individual that's getting brought into the Hall of Fame, but I, I do think we will see Keith at some point. I agree 100% with that. 538 goals, 1,065 points, and, and you know if Joe Mullen can get into the Hall of <clears throat> excuse me, if Joe Mullen can be in the Hall of Fame, which rightfully so with his career, Keith Kachuk and Jeremy Roenick deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. What about Shane Doan? Shane's a tough one. Shane's a good friend of mine. Uh, I love Shane to death. Uh, there, uh, if I have one, if I have one NHL player that could carry me away when I pass away in my casket or whatever the heck you call that thing, <laughs> um, it'd be Shane. He's just that that close of a friend to yeah. me. I, I respect his faith. I respect him as a father, as a friend, friend of the show too. Friend of the show. He's just an incredible human being. Um, I don't know if Shane's got what it takes to get to the Hall of Fame. Kind of suffers from what Keith Kachuk suffers from. Exactly. Just I think he went to the conference final once. Mm-hmm. And, and when you have a tenure like he did, 22-plus years, whatever that was, in Arizona, uh, and, and to only make the, the conference final once, right. um, he's got the game, certainly. I think the points are, are lacking a little bit. I, I don't think we will see Shane 
go in for at least a, he won't go in for a player. Right. Uh, I think he would be an amazing coach one day. I think oh, yeah. he'd make an amazing general manager. I can see him in the Hall of Fame one day for something. I just unfortunately think that with how competitive it is now, given all these players retiring, I, I don't know if we see Shane in there as yeah. a player. Well, lots of names out there, but at least for now, the ones that are going in for the next class of uh, the NHL Hall, or the Hockey Hall of Fame, I should say, is uh, NHL and players included Doug Wilson, Kevin Lowe, Marion Hosa, and Jerome McGinley. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrari. We're going to come back and rack up, wrap up tonight's show. Chris Kerber caught up with Sammy Blay earlier today, who was on the ice. He's back in St. Louis for Phase 2, getting ready for Phase 3. We'll hear from number 9 next here on 101 ESPN. Final time here tonight here on This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. It's time now to hear a little from Sammy Shotgun. Sammy Blay, who returned to St. Louis. He was on the ice at Centene earlier today. Of course, Phase 2 still for the NHL as we are six days away from Phase 3, which would be the start of training camp. Sammy was out on the ice today. Chris Kerber caught up with Sammy after his skate. Take a listen. Sammy, it's good to see you. I'll, I'll be once again through the computer. Last time we talked to you, you had this great picture of train tracks behind your head. But uh, when, when you had gone home, uh, how was the trip back into St. Louis? Uh, it was good. Uh, I came here with uh, with my car, and me and Donna we followed each other. So it was uh, it was a long drive, but uh, happy to be back in St. Louis. How long of a drive is it? Uh, for me, it was uh, sixteen hours drive. Sixteen hour drive. So. It was uh, it was pretty long, but uh, I'm used I'm used to do it, so it was fine. How uh, how are you feeling? How are things going as you get back to the ice? Uh, things are good. Uh, it's nice to be back at the rink and see and see the boys after a long long period of time. And uh, like just being being uh, being back around everyone, it's it feels good. And uh, just happy to be back here in St. Louis. What was it like to put your skates on and get out on the ice for the first time after being so long off the ice? Uh, it was good, but I was skating back home in Montreal, so um, so I, I skated a little bit. But uh, it was just nice to be to be back on the ice with the boys, like I said, and uh, just uh, feel feel the ice here in St. Louis. Sammy, what are some other the other things that you did to try and help uh, stay ready for when things could resume? Uh, my gym, my gym opened back up in in Montreal like uh, a month ago, so I was I was I was working out there, so it was it was good. I came here and. Uh, just kept building on what I was doing back home, so it was uh, it was good. And uh, like I like I said, I'm feeling good and uh, just excited to be back. Does it feel weird to have had this kind of time off and then coming back, knowing that you you're coming back for the playoffs, you're coming back to compete for another Stanley Cup? Yeah, a little bit. It kind of feels like a new season, to be honest. And uh, like after being uh, being away from from St. Louis for two months and coming back, it feels like a new season, but. Um, we know we have we have a job to do, and uh, just we're just trying to to be ready for the playoff right now. How difficult? Uh, difficult's not even the right word. What's it like as a player to to be going through this and not just not skating and then prepping for the playoffs, but right now there's CBA ratification, there's the business side of it, there's the the testing and the the virus side of it, there's the playoff side of it. How do you how do you put all that together in your head? Um, to be honest, I'm just trying to, to focus on what I can uh, control, like just try to stay, stay away from big crowds and just try to stay healthy and um, just trying to, to do my, my part and staying healthy. And that's what I'm trying to do right now and 
just trying to stay ready as much as possible for the start of, for the start of the playoff. Do you feel that, that it, w- whether it be some of your teammates or even uh, other players you may talk to around the league, uh, do, do you feel like there's a, a real sense of, of responsibility and what the commitment level in terms of the, the social distancing, in terms of what it's going to take to control the virus aspect to get this done is going to take on you guys? Um, I, I feel I feel like if everyone do their part, I think we're gonna be we're gonna be okay. And um, I think everyone wants to to stay healthy and not get the virus. And um, like I said, um, just try to do our part and uh, try to stay away from from big crowds. And when when we go out, we, we put our mask on and uh, just trying to stay stay as safe as we can. And uh, that's the only thing we can control right now. What uh, what what's so far been your favorite part about just getting back on the ice with your teammates? Um, just just being around the guys, we have such a great group of guys here. Our chemistry is so is so good. So just being back with the boys, it feels it feels really good. Does that pick right up where it left off, even after the time? Yeah, everyone everyone was happy to see each other, and uh, um, like I said, we we love each other, and we're we're excited to to be back together. How are you adjusting to just some of the different regiments of the either the test you had to take when you came in, or even just taking your temperature on a daily basis? Um, it's 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 different for sure, but like I said, it's now it's a routine. So we just try to just try to have the same schedule every day, and uh, just coming coming into the ring, we get tested, and um, then we practice and work out, and we're out of here. So um, it's like that every day, and we're just like I said, trying to stay away from from like crowds and stuff and everything's going to be fine having gone through what you've gone through just even the the challenges of of kind of going up and down between the nhl and the minors or in and out of a lineup even during a playoff run but then being put in and and part of that playoff run all the way to the end and lifting a stanley cup where does that put your confidence level now going into and knowing what you're going to need going into what will be this playoff run um, more experience for sure. Like I said, uh, with last year experience, um, I feel I feel a lot more confident, and everyone knows what it takes to what it need, what it takes to win. And um, like I said, everyone's ready. I think, and we're excited to to start to start the playoff and just uh, defend our title. What are the areas of your game that you want to continue to see grow? Um, just keep uh, being a physical presence on the ice and. Um, be good, being good on both sides of the ice, I think it's a, is a big part for me. And like I said, just keep playing my style of game, and I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna be fine. Once again, that's Sammy Blay from uh, the Centene Ice Center earlier today where he was on the ice uh, with the Phase 2 kind of return-to-play protocol right now. Sammy Blay skating for the St. Louis Blues. He's back in St. Louis. And, Joe, more importantly, man, we're just seeing more and more players take the ice. And, one, it's cool to see Sammy back in St. Louis because this is another guy who you're going to benefit from having healthy uh, when the playoffs start for the way that he plays his physical game. But, two, it just it, it just signifies in my eyes, the the closer we're getting to hockey coming back with all of these players coming back in town. It's great. And it's great to see Sammy Shotgun back in town. You know, we had Doug Armstrong on a couple months ago on our show, and this is right after the pandemic really hit. And we got into a lengthy discussion about Sammy Blay. And he said Sammy, when they drafted him, he was a boy. You know, he he took some years after they drafted him to kind of fill out into a man and to mature and to really take on the responsibility of what an NHL pro is, the the sleep schedule, the the eating regimen, the training, showing up every day and taking your profession seriously yeah. not being late for practice all those things and he was really impressed by sammy's progression 
And uh, Sammy Blay is one of those players like Zach Sanford, Vince Dunn, Oscar Sundquist that I think a lot of teams would have just rid off. Like this kid's just an American leaguer. He'll be called up here and there. But Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong saw something great in him. And they've used the verbal tools and the communication skills of this coach to communicate exactly what they need from him. And they've given him the belief and the structure and the confidence to go out there and be the player that he can. I think he is being maximized right now to the fullest. I'm excited to see him back. And like you said, Alex, all those blues, all these Blues players. Yeah, really looking forward to it. And again, we, we kind of have a solid date right now. July 13th is when training camps are going to open up, which is phase three. Phase four is going to be August 1st when the return to play happens in these uh, hub bubble cities, whether it be Edmonton or Toronto. Joe, it's been awesome to have you back in studio, man. Thanks for stopping by, and uh, hopefully we're going to be back talking Blues hockey soon. Oh, this is great, Alex. It's great seeing your face again, and this has been so much fun. Can we make it a three-hour show? I think we should. I love to miss dinner and and diaper time and bath time and all the other time. I'm a little concerned about the diarrhea that you have, though. Yeah, that's true. If we go three hours, we might have an accident and then game over for all of us. Dude, I can't believe you just called me out. I did. Dang. Dennis, touching your junk and not washing your hands and getting diarrhea. That's Joe Vitale for you, folks. I'm Alex Ferrario. I'll be back with you tomorrow night. I'm filling in for curbs. I'm behind the bench. We're going to profile Ken Hitchcock, which I'm really looking forward to, to talk with the former Blues head coach who had a big influence on this organization. So for Joe Vitale, I'm Alex Ferrario. Thank you to Mike Ryder for his help tonight. Thanks for joining us on This Week in Hockey. We'll talk to you next week here on your home for the St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN.